so many incredible families that make up our church family. And I know we're all looking forward to getting back together again before long. And it'll be so good to be back together. Right now, though, we're remembering in the series we're doing that as we're in isolation, we are not alone. And so thankful for that. I know all of us are because that's where we get our hope, to know that our Savior's with us, to know that he understands what we're going through, that he cares about what we feel. There's nothing better than that. And because he's so good to us, we want to take this opportunity during this time to grow in our walk with him. And so we're looking really at the letter that Paul wrote to the church of Philippi as he wrote from his own isolation and wrote to encourage them to grow in their walk. And so we are seeing there opportunities for our own growth. Last week, Pastor Kevin talked about growing in confidence. If you remember, bad things happen, right? Bad things happen, so what? We can trust in God's goodness. We can rely on him. He is in control and he is, we can be confident in his care and the joy that he brings. And today we're gonna to talk about growing in unity, which is so important because as much as everyone out there is talking about the fact that we are all in this together, it's sort of crazy. There's a whole lot of division going on out there. There are people fighting. They're fighting over politics. They're fighting over toilet paper. They're fighting over social distancing. A lot of division. And with all that division out there, if the world is going to see what unity, true unity really looks like, they need to see it in the church. I know this may seem like a sort of a strange time for us to talk about unity because we're all apart. But let me just give you two quick reasons why I think it's a great time to talk about it. First of all, because now, maybe more than ever, we understand how much it means to us. I mean, it's been pretty easy for us to take what we've had for granted, right? Maybe now we're more in tune to the high value of unity. So it's a great time to think about it. And secondly, because because we're isolated, it allows us to get to the core of unity, what it really brings true unity. See, if we don't get to what really drives it, we can walk away from a message like this and think, well, I'm going to try really hard to be nice to people, which is great. But if that's all we've got, we will have missed the point. There's something much bigger here for us. So we're back in Philippians. Paul really starts talking about the issue of unity in chapter 1, verse 27, when he says this, only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I will hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. There it is, standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. That's the core. That's what makes our unity real and makes it last. Standing firm, they had to stand firm because they were getting pressure from the outside world, the culture around them. So it wasn't easy. Maybe it's not easy for us, but we are called to stand firm, to stand firm in one spirit, I believe he's talking there about the Holy Spirit, the Spirit who unites us and empowers us. Stand firm in one spirit with one mind. Literally, it says there in the Greek, one soul. That's how close a connection we're talking about, that we would be viewed as one soul, 
with one purpose, striving together for the faith of the gospel. And that right there is the core. One spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. It's so focused, isn't it? It's like a winning sports team. You know, if, if teams come together, they are, they are together with different backgrounds, with different abilities. Those athletes come out on the court or on the field, and they bring all of those together for one goal. They're looking for something. They're not looking for personal preferences and personal ideas. They do that because the goal is larger than their individual preferences. And the moment that a player's individuality becomes more important than the team, there's a problem, right? I know probably a lot of you watched at least some of the NFL draft this past week. I'm sort of a draft junkie. I probably watch more of it than I should. But if you could, if you could imagine that first player, that number one player that your team took, walking up to the microphone after he was chosen and, and, and saying something like, you know, hey, I know you're glad I'm on your team. I know, I'm, gonna, I'm planning on scoring all the touchdowns for us, or I'm planning on getting all the tackles for us, and I'm gonna call the shots, and boy, when my rookie contract is up, they're gonna have to pay me some big bucks. And you know, if, if, if he said something like that, we'd all be, no, that's not what I want for my team. No, I'm looking for somebody who's gonna put others through. I'm looking for somebody who's going to be a team player. Well, the church is supposed to be full of team players players. That's what drives our unity. Team players who know the goal is more important than our individual preferences. Standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, and one purpose. And that was the challenge to the church of Philippi. It's also the challenge to us. The church of Philippi, they not only had pressure from, from without, they also had pressure from within. If, as you look later in this letter, there seems to have been some struggles between some of the people in the church. So we're looking at what Paul tells them so they can grow in this area so that we can grow in it as well. He goes on to talk about this more in chapter 2. Really a classic passage here beginning in verse 1, therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintain the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Well, I don't know about you, but to me, there's some challenging stuff in those verses. As he's going through verse 1, he talks about these elements of encouragement, consolation, fellowship, affection, and compassion. And don't let that word if there throw you. You know, if there's any encouragement in Christ. We all know the Bible's assuming a positive answer. And it's obvious to all of us. I mean, there's no believer who's going to question that we haven't experienced all that he mentions here. We know these positives as realities in our lives. And again, right now, maybe we know them better than we ever have known them. Maybe now the reality of what we've received is clearer to us. There's really no debate about that. What people have debated is whether he's talking about these blessings as whether they come from directly from Christ 
or whether we receive them from each other. And people argue that back and forth. I sort of like the opinion I saw that says, hey, maybe it's better that we don't try to figure it out because both are true. Encouragement in Christ, absolutely. Because of our connection to him, we receive encouragement directly from him. We know that. None of us are doubting that. It's, it's amazing. It's always happening. We get encouragement from him, and no doubt also, we get it from each other. I'm talking specifically the encouragement we get from each other to live for him. You know, when someone pumps you up or challenges you to live in a way that's honoring to him, that's the encouragement that we're talking about. And I know probably for some of you right now, encouragement is something you need. And it's God's word and his family that needs to come around you to encourage you. Hey, keep walking, keep going, never give up. So if there's any encouragement, and if there's any consolation of love, that's the comfort that we get from the love that has been shown to us. And his love, well, it does comfort us, doesn't it? Maybe you remember the words to the old song. Oh, the wonder of it all. The wonder of it all. Just to think that God loves me. His love poured out on us every moment of our lives. And again, we pour it out on each other. We see that in practical ways. When, when one of us helps another, or we serve, or we give, or we pray, we receive the comfort of love. If there's any consolation of love, if there's any fellowship of the Spirit, that fellowship that's not just about enjoying being around each other. I mean, there's more than that. You know, people who aren't in the church can, can, can have that type of fellowship. We're talking about the result of being in Christ and all that goes with it. It's talking about the shared purpose that we have together because of his spirit's presence in our life. That fellowship that those who don't know Christ can't possibly understand. And then if there's any affection and compassion and there is, we know there. We, we've talked about, ten, we're talking here about tenderness. We're talking about a close relationship, a close friendship, a family relationship. That relationship we have with him and the relationship we have with each other. All of that's true. And if all of it's true, and we know it is, then what Paul's saying here is, hey, because of that, prove something here. Prove that all of that's true in your life. He, and he goes on to say, make my joy complete. We, and we know this is a letter that is just full of talk about joy. Pastor Kevin talked about it some last week. We'll see it more as we get further in the letter. But right here, Paul is saying, hey, this is the way you make my joy complete. And what he says next sounds a lot like verse 27 of chapter one that we read earlier. It's that same idea of what drives unity things like being of the same mind, because real unity always starts with our thinking. What's at our core? Maintaining the same love takes some effort. It takes some effort to maintain something. Maintaining the same love, united in spirit, literally souls together. So we get the same picture again. Intent on one purpose, the purpose of striving together for the faith of the gospel. That's the core. And once we get that down, once we have our focus correct, then it impacts what we do. 
And that order is so important. Because if we are of one spirit and one mind and one purpose, then doing what he says next really doesn't mean anything. It won't last. But when our thinking is right, out of that core flows action. So here's what he says from verse 3. He says, do nothing from selfishness. Do nothing. Think about that. That's an amazing statement. Do nothing from selfishness. I was thinking, you know, well, we could stop right there and we could go home. But you guys are all at home anyway. I guess I could stop right now myself. I could go home and just think about for the entire week. Do nothing from selfishness. Because the truth is, we're sort of into ourselves, aren't we? You want proof of that? Do you know how many selfies are posted every day on the internet? 93 million. 93 million selfies. Yeah, we're sort of into ourselves. And if we're not careful, we can get so into ourselves that it can become a pride issue. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. I like the old King James here, actually. You know, I know that King James is antiquated and sometimes hard to understand, but every once in a while, you go back and look at it, and it gives you a, a word that just sort of grabs you, and that was the case here for me. Because they take those two words, empty conceit, they make it into one word. Actually, it sounds like two words, but it's one word, vainglory. Vainglory. It's useless glory. We're talking about a person who loves the idea of their own importance, you know, where I love me some me. Those people are living life that way. It's a complete 180 from the person who makes you feel like the best part of their day was when they ran into you. We all know people like that. Those people that, that choose to focus on others instead of on themselves. We're to be like them. We're not to be selfish. We're not to be conceited. Instead, we're supposed to do everything with humility of mind here. Humility of mind. If you've been around church, you've heard that word humility described and talked about how that in their culture at that time, that word was always used in a negative sense, never like the church took it and used it and put a positive sense to it. In fact, I've got a book in my library. It's a book, uh, sort of a reference book, technical reference book that is used uh, uh, of, of words, Greek words that are used uh, in the secular culture, but not used in the Bible. And you can go there and read and see how they use them and, and then sort of bring that application into understanding what the Bible's talking about. But that book, if you go and look up this particular word that's used here, guess what? It's not there. This word that's used here in Philippians 2, it wasn't a word that they used in any of their literature of the time. There are some related words. Those related words have to do with those who have been defeated in war. And they've been made slaves. They've been brought in and made slaves. That's what we're talking about. The Greek word has to do with those who are defeated, the way they use it in their culture, defeated low-minded enemies. Those were the humble ones. It was never something positive. But I got to tell you, it wasn't just the ancient world that sees humility as a negative. I think it's today too. You know, we talk about humility as a positive in our world. But think about who we recognize. Think about who's honored. It's those who are self-assertive. It's those who impose their will on others. When it comes down to it, the idea of humility is really something that the world gives a lot of lip service to. 
But to actually view others as more important than ourselves? Are you kidding me? I don't think so. View them and their needs as superior to, to, to my own? No, thank you. See, it's something else. It's a totally different mindset. But it takes that type of thinking to produce real unity. That's the kind of unity we're looking for. You want to know how important this is? Look at where Paul goes next. The next thing we're told here, we're given the ultimate example in these next few verses. These verses are just great verses to look at. They, they've, believers through the centuries have loved these verses and been challenged by them. And if we're going to have unity, the kind that we've been talking about, here's the example, starting in verse 5. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. So here's this, the challenge to us. Have this attitude. You know, this is, this is actually where that whole, you know, the WWJD thing, this is where it came from. In fact, uh, an author back in 1896 wrote a book, a novel about a church and the pastor of that church challenged his people to commit for a year to making their decisions based on what they believed Jesus would do. A lot of people have read that book. A lot of people have been touched by it. And through the years, people's lives have been challenged. In fact, in 1990 then, a youth group up in Michigan, sort of challenged by that same idea, came up with the idea of bracelets, just for themselves, these bracelets with a WWJD on them. And so they did that. And what happened was a bunch of people saw it, they liked it and picked it up and it spread all over. That's great. But the reality is doing, actually doing what Jesus would do is harder than saying it. It's harder than wearing it. I mean, think about what we're told here that Jesus did. We're told that although he existed in the form of God, he existed. The idea there is that he perpetually, there's a, there's a suggestion there of his eternalness. He eternally existed in the form of God. Now you make it the wrong idea from that word form there because we use it sometimes today as a, like an outline. It's sort of a surface thing. But the Greek word is a lot more than that. It's talking about in his nature, his essence, his character, who he is. It's stressing his equality with the Father. There's no doubt that Jesus was and is, is God. He made that claim himself. I mean, you read the New Testament, it makes it clear. He was God. God in equal in power, equal in authority, equal in majesty. But he didn't regard equality with God, a thing to be grasped, to grab hold of, to hold on to for his own purposes. Instead, he emptied himself. And people, boy, a lot of talk has gone on. What? What does that mean he emptied himself? What's it talking about? Well, let me tell you what it's not talking about. It's not talking about him being any less God. He's fully God. It's talking about his willingness to limit the privileges 
and prerogatives of the exercise of some of his attributes. Think about that. The only person in the world who had the complete right to assert his rights, and he waived them. He took the form of a bondservant, and there's that word form again. So that he became everything a bondservant was. Guess what? That's what he was. He took the form of a bondservant. He didn't exchange the form of God for the form of a bondservant. No, instead, he took the additional form of a bondservant. So he became a man. But he didn't stop there. He became a bondservant. But he didn't stop there. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. But he didn't stop there. He humbled himself by death on a cross. And, and it's like, we, this is a point where you, where, you, where you stop and you pause with that, right? You, you, you think about it. There's certain times when you come into a scripture and you just, the thought of what's just been said is like, okay, this is a cause for a pause. And here it is. The Son of God, equal with God, died. Died like a common thief, hanging on a post of wood. He died accursed. The most noble act the world has ever seen, full of infinite merit given to us. He put us and our needs above his own. Amazing. But it's not just an awesome event. And it's not just a great theological truth. It is those things. But it's also more. It's also his path, the path that we're supposed to follow. I mean, think about it. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. See, there is nothing we were ever asked to give up for each other. There is no, no price we could ever pay to put someone else's interest before our own that will ever come anywhere close to the sacrifice he paid for us. So we're to follow. Peter said, hey, we're to follow close upon his steps. We're to follow. And one of these days we're gonna start walking back into this building and it's going to be essential. If we're going to do what God wants us to do, it's gonna be essential that we come together in real unity. If we wanna show the world what unity looks like, it begins now, it begins right now. It begins right now in your home, with those around you, family. It begins putting their interests above your own. It begins now as you have opportunity to interact with others in the community. But most importantly, it begins now in your heart, at your core. Where are you? Where is your heart and your mind at this time? Will your personal preferences and desires be set aside for one spirit? one mind, and one purpose. See, right now, in our isolation, we're not alone. And the one who's with us is calling us to grow, to grow in unity with each other. The question is, will we follow?
Will we follow upon Jesus' steps? If you're watching today and you're thinking, well, you know, I've never come into a relationship with him and I've never been a part of that type of unity. I've never been a part of God's family. I'd encourage you to take that step today. Take it right now. Just turn to him. Ask him to come into your life. Ask him to cleanse you of your sin. Tell him what you're relying on, what you're putting your faith in, your trust in, is what Jesus did on the cross. That he paid the penalty for you. And you're asking him to forgive you and to come into your life. And he'll do that. He'll not only give you a new eternal destiny, but he'll walk through this life with you right now. He'll be there with you. And in your isolation, you won't be alone. And you'll have a family, God's family to be a part of. If you're already a part of that family, then I wanna encourage you today, check your core. Know where your heart and mind is. Know if you're willing to follow, to have the same attitude in yourself, which is in Christ Jesus, to pay the price, whatever it may be, to walk in his steps. Would you join me in prayer? Father in heaven, we thank you, God, for another day, another day to serve you, another day to honor you, Father. We thank you for uh, allowing us to know you and to walk through this life with you. We thank you for your goodness and your grace. God, we know you've called us. You want us to be united as your people. And so, Father, I pray that we would be growing in this area. As good as you've been to us, Father, help us, Father, to, to respond to our heart and mind, being willing to consider, God, where we stand with you, but where we stand with each other as well. Father, help us to have the strength the power, the, de the determination through your spirit to do what you've called us to do, to be united with each other. And Father, for those who may not know you and they're weighing that decision, God, I pray they'd make that decision today. Make it right now. God, that you'd be honored in their lives and ours. And Father, that you'd be honored now as we close with this next song. Father, we pray this, God, in Jesus' name. Amen.